when the Swiss want to get oh, the oh, oh, you oh, shut oh, up oh. about the damn Swiss. I mean, it was all that Ein's Vine dry nonsense that got us all nervous in the first place. I mean, come on, Darius. We can't be copying nobody else's style. We have our own style. Let me tell you something, Rasta. The best I can be is Jamaican. I'm telling you as a friend, if we look Jamaican, walk Jamaican, talk Jamaican, and is Jamaican, then we sure as hell better bobsled Jamaican. Ready? Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Cool And welcome, 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 welcome to Talking the Mickey, the podcast that tries to put the plus in Disney+. Plus. My name's Ian. My name's Ellie. I'm Georgia. And with us again, he was so nice the first time we brought him back twice, it's... Ethan. It's Ethan. I've still watched more Muppets. Have you watched more? Oh, yeah, that's not a bad thing whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> um, I think the Muppets, there's worse things you could be doing with your lockdown than spending time with the Muppets. I say lockdown because we are still very much in the initial three week of Boris Johnson's um, th- prescribed initial three week lockdown. I say initial because God knows. So we are spending some time watching some Disney, trying to put some positivity out there, and hopefully just bring a, uh, if not us, then maybe the movies we're recommending will bring a smile to your face, if nothing else. Uh, how are we all doing this evening? We all right? I'm good, yeah. Ethan, how about you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. I've just been playing Animal Crossing and doing Muppets because that's, that's all my life has become. Animal Crossing and Muppets, all right. Sounds all right. Georgia, how about you? I'm not too bad. I feel like I'm coming down with a bit of a cold, but I'm pretty certain it's not uh, the virus as I'm really snotty. So I um, hope you can all enjoy that image. <laughs> so on that note, let's... Uh, Disappear far, far away from here to the land of 1993, almost 30 years ago. I said being very scared. And Cool Runnings. So, uh, Cool Runnings, a film by directed by John Turtletob. Not a name you hear a lot of, John Turtletob, but he was the same guy who brought us such hits as the romantic comedy While You Were Sleeping, the mini-film franchise National Treasure, which I really rate, actually. I really rate National Treasure. Oh, he did those ones. Yeah, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, he's done a lot of family-friendly content. And then he also did The Meg. Oh, that one. Isn't that like the wannabe Jaws on steroids film? Yeah, I remember the big trailer was like, it's a megalodon. <laughs> and it was just Jason Statesman with like an American accent. And it was, ooh. Yeah. So... I think the ugh could be done for Jason Statham in an American accent. Uh, but 1993 um, brought us Cool Runnings, and uh, this was John Candy's last film to be released whilst he was still alive. John Candy, uh, a legendary Canadian actor, I must say. Uh, and it was hard to see him, uh, just, you know, literally a year or so before he dies, he does this film. And uh, he was... Uh, he, was, he looked big. He looked big. So that was... Uh, but it was great to sort of see him and appreciate him one final time. Uh, originally, Cool Runnings was devised as a serious sports drama uh, under the name of Blue Maga. Not Umaga, <laughs> but Blue Maga. Oh. Yes. And needless to say, 
there were script problems, the actors said. And apparently the whole thing got rewritten several times and they decided to go for a much more comedic tone instead. And the only line that stayed from the original script was um, when they asked each other, you dead? That was the only <laughs> line from the original script that remains. Um, a couple interesting things. Uh, it was shot in Jamaica and in Calgary, but in reverse order of what we see in the film. So they shot all the Calgary scenes first, and then they went and shot all the Jamaica scenes instead. I thought you meant they shot all the Calgary scenes in Jamaica and all the Jamaica scenes in Calgary. No, no. That's a film that would I'd, be an impressive feat. That's a film I I'd like so. to see. Canada's got a sprinting team. Anyway, um, this was on a, the American Film Institute. It's on their all-time top ten sports movies of all time. Um, originally, the producers of Disney wanted big-name stars in all the roles. Why wouldn't you want big-name stars in all the roles? But they had four uh, black actors of a time who they had sort of earmarked and penciled in for spots in this film, none of which they got. Uh, the original thought was Denzel in the lead role. Uh, Sanka would be played by Eddie Murphy. Which I think I think you can kind of see that I think yeah yeah a very young Eddie Murphy would well not he would be super young at that point he'd be about thirty he might be a bit old for it but he he, he that's what they wanted they wanted Wesley Snipes to play <laughs> Yul Brenner and then Jun- oh I can say that and then Junior they wanted Marlon Wayans so <laughs> now the money they offered was so low none of them took it off on it and the only person who they wanted who they got was they always wanted John Candy to play the coach. So they did get that. Lucky them. And just in a little bit of an aside, the movie was released under the name Cold Buttocks in Norway. (laughs) Cold Buttocks. Not Cool Runnings. That's great. Which, considering that's kind of a Jamaican, not Jamaican, it's very much a bobsleddy kind of winter sports nation, I thought that would be very, very interesting. So, uh, let's just get started. We start the film... uh, Oh, before we do that, let's do the whole IMDb Rotten Tomatoes game. Any guesses what this got on IMDb? Genuinely not a clue because it's a good film, but okay. it's not a thing that I'd be itching to watch again and again and again. And no one's going to mistake a nice little... No one's going to mistake this with your typical Oscar bait kind of movie. It's a movie that knows what it is, but yeah, how does yeah. the public vote that? I'm thinking I'm thinking somewhere in the mid sixes, like six point six, six point five. All right, those sort of movies, like sort of campy, feel good Disney movies, usually get like mid to high sixes. I think Ellie, mm, a little bit high, maybe like a six point eight. Georgia, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to go top end of that. I'm going to go seven point three. Uh, split the difference between you two. Seven point zero is where it falls. Okay. Seven point zero. It's it's kind of where it sits. Uh, yeah. And let's go maybe in the reverse order. Rotten Tomatoes score. George, is this a critic-friendly movie? Well, you just said that it was in some sort of top ten of all time for yes, sports I did films, say that so, by the American Film Institute, yes. Which would make you think it's quite high. I mean, I think the reason I didn't find it as interesting as I probably would have done is because a lot of the stuff I think you've seen, we've now seen replicated, but I guess that was probably the originator of a lot of these tropes. Um so, like, 85? 85, okay. Uh, Ellie? Mm, 79. And Ethan? Ooh, I'm going to go 
86. Well, you're all really high on this one. It's 70%. Okay. Oh, wait. No, hang on. I lied. It was 76%. 76%. <laughs> okay. So I thought it was actually quite close. Yeah, you just 79. Was that you? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, pretty close. So, generally, you know, it, it's generally it's a well received film. And I think it's like I said, a film that knows what it was. It is based very loosely on the Jamaican bobsled team who actually did uh, participate in the 1988 Calgary Winter Olympics. And we'll talk a little bit about the similarities and differences as we go on. It was made for a $17 million budget. And made 155 million worldwide. So uh, at the time, it was Disney's highest-grossing live-action film ever. Wow! So this is a so this is a runaway success without without question uh, at the time. So <laughs> runaway, runaway. <laughs> and so we have a very 80s opening where we get some title card that says "Cool Runnings," and we get uh, Disney's going to Disney uh, live-actiony kind of way. With introduction through kind of just a montage of what Jamaican life is like, complete with steel drums. And if you didn't like steel drums, it was going to be a long hour and a half. I love steel pan drums, so I was okay. I love steel drums too. So, uh, but they were going to be everywhere. They were leaning into certain parts of Jamaican, uh, the Jamaican stereotype, very, very hard. And they stayed away from other parts of the Jamaican stereotype very, very significantly. I found it interesting to see that it was Hans Zimmer who was doing, like, all the music for it. Wait, serious? Yeah, I, I, it was one of the first things I have in my note, other than Turtle, was just Hans Zimmer. It was like a shock to me when I saw it. I did not know it was Hans Zimmer. George, did you pick up on that? Yeah, it pops up in the um, opening titles that you were just talking about. It says music by Hans Zimmer, and I went, really? Okay, this will be interesting. Because Hans Zimmer, we do another podcast together called Best Film Ever. And Hans Zimmer did, we just did The Dark Knight about a week ago. And this is about as different from The Dark Knight as you can get. Yeah, very much so. And feels very, this feels very un-Hans Zimmer. Because Hans Zimmer usually does these high-energy sort of scores. He does like Rush. He does like The Dark Knight. He does gritty stuff. And this, I don't know if Hans Zimmer is just trolling for any kind of work at this point. When he does cool runnings, but very interesting. And so a montage does what a montage will do and introduces us to Doris. And Doris is clearly a sprinter with high aspirations. And he's running through town and he's working out and he runs by two women. And the one woman looks at him as he runs by and says, oh, I could watch that backside all day. And I went, oh, it's not too often you get old woman lusting after young man in a film. Uh, especially in a Disney film. Yeah, it was a little bit strange. But we led with that, and um, it introduces us to this character, who, if you don't pay too much attention, you might miss who this is, but this is our introduction to Sanka's mother. So she owns the restaurant or the pub or whatever it is that they all seem to hang out at, and it's Sanka's mom. And so we get told it's Jamaica, and it's November of 1987, and Sanka who we meet, who is Doug E. Doug is the name of the actor. Um, And he is getting ready for the push box derby race. Uh, Something he takes quite uh, passionately. And a funny story about Doug E. Doug is that he was hired only to read lines to other actors in their auditions. And he did a good (laughs) enough job. They went, stick around, tell you what. Stick around and help them with their Jamaican accents. Because I guess Dougie Dougs must be genuine. He must be uh, either 
from Jamaica proper or of Jamaican descent enough that, that he's got the accent down because they wanted big stars. And when the big stars didn't turn up, they just gave him the part. And he said it was the part he'd always wanted to play out of the four that were available. And so uh, I, I think he's, he made the most of his time for sure. And so some other kids come over and we learn quickly that um, Doris and Sanka are best friends and the little boys are kind of fanboying all over Doris saying, oh, my grandfather says you're even far faster than your father. And uh, Sanka gets his first of many quotable lines from me in the film where he goes, you know what my grandfather says? Get back to work. <laughs> and the child labor continues on the Darby push car. He did that a couple of times, didn't he, in that, in that scene, told yeah. him to get back to work. It was really quite it, cute. And so we begin the push cart race, and Sanka just is a very, very good push car racer, as it turns out, and he wins. And his name, Sanka Coffee, is a, a pun on the idea that in America they have something called Sanka, and it's like coffee in a bag, in a tea bag, very similar to what tea is. So calling him Sanka Coffee just makes him a pun so his very existence is a joke in that regard um did you just say he wins isn't this the race where they crash into a building they crash after he wins oh okay yeah they win the race because you need this you need to know he really is the best push car racer in all of jamaica i think i must have missed the finish line now pardon me for this do they not make Jamaica, the whole island seem like it's like a village of 50 people absolutely i was thinking that <laughs> Because apparently this is the Jamaican like national push cart uh, championship, and there are no cities. It is just. Oh, I thought it was a village. Yeah, it, it it seems like it's just a village of fifty people, don't they? A village where you have uh, three potential Olympians uh, who don't even get in, but they're that good that they would have been in the Olympics. It's, it's <laughs> also where village. you. It's also where you host the trials. This is the best like arena yeah. they had in Jamaica. Was that little bit of like. Like, like a horse racetrack with like a hundred, like a few lanes they've like marked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not quite the opening scene where they had the little boys roll out like some toilet roll. I really enjoyed his little starting blocks in the first thing. scene as well with the little, they were actual rocks that he was using for the starting blocks. Yes, actual mm-hmm. rocks for starting blocks. But back then, you know, that scene with the toilet roll probably cost him all of 15p. Today, that scene would cost thousands and thousands of pounds with the escalating price in the black market of toilet roll. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> if they're going to do a remake, you may have to rethink that spot. Um, and so we go ahead and we find did, out. Did anyone else pick up on the name of the push cart that they had? No. Oh, I did see oh. it, but I can't remember what it was now. It was called the Raster Rocket. <laughs> oh, the Raster Rocket, yes. And I don't know if you noticed, before they start the race, he does his whole feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, whatever the third line is, it's push cart time, and off they go. And I thought that was a really clever little, I was listening for it, I don't know if, if it was your first time, yeah, if you might have picked notice. up on that, but I was sitting there going, oh, that's clever, they've gone ahead and, and foreground that, so when you hear it, it's a bit more catchy. There was another really clever bit in the scene as well, I thought. When they when they crashed, there was sort of all this dirt and like dust falling all over him, and it was a little bit like snow. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Just a little bit of foreshadowing, I liked that. Or the idea that they just crash. <laughs> well, and that, yeah. That. <laughs> and so um, it's the eve of the trials. We learn Doris is going to try and make it in the 100 meters. He's excited, he's confident. 
He wants to go to the Olympics. And we get a really nice uh, scene between Doris and his wife, Joy, who has about two scenes. And then we kind of just forget about her for the rest of the film. She has no other contact with her husband. I never forgot about her. Okay, I, I thought that this scene was really lovely. So. Okay, why don't you go <laughs> ahead and sort of walk her. us through it? Because I was kind of all right with it. Um, it's just kind of this really tender moment, really, where um, Joy is asking Doris if he's nervous, and he gives her this big old speech about um, how he's ready for this, how he's always been ready for this, how it means so much to him. And she goes, yes, yes, but are you nervous? And he sort of laughs and goes, I'm terrified. Um, and they have this sweet little moment yeah to me it just made me go okay they're just telling me the race is tomorrow but <laughs> that's kind of what i got out of it i think it's just nice it shows their relationship and then you've got the other scenes that she is in through the rest of the film although they're small um they sort of show how much she cares about his ambitions and how much she supports him so it gives a little bit more credit to them i think let's open this to the table uh, joy, joy bannock uh, do you, uh, good character or just um, supportive wife number four I quite liked her in that first scene that Ellie was just describing okay. although I must admit once she appeared again when they were like watching the um, races and stuff I'd forgotten that she was actually his wife so she was just another person that was there rooting them on um, so I guess the development wasn't there enough for me to remember that fact but I did enjoy that first scene with her in at any other point in the film does Doris acted all like he's got someone else in his life he might be doing this for besides his father. No. He never, I think that's probably why I forgot about it. He never once talks to the coach about needing to do this for his wife or wanting to make his wife proud. He never says, i got to get on the phone to my wife and tell her how it went or I can't wait to, to go home and tell my wife I am in a limit. None of this. It's, she exists for exposition in the first scene like this and then she's thrown aside for the film. Yeah, she's used for a joke like well a third of the way through. Yes, she gets that. Thing. And then I, her first thing was like, oh, she's there. And then I forgot about her. She appeared for the joke, and then I didn't see her. She, and then I just forgot. She has less purpose than Sanka's mother, but they both exist after this for reaction shots. Yeah. Their purpose is we need someone to represent Jamaica who we can cut back to and show how they're feeling. Yeah, I th- I liked that. Um, I'm not saying I thought she was like a really important, really strong character or anything. I just enjoyed her inclusion. Okay. And then we go to the trials. And we have uh, Doris getting ready to race. And we are introduced to the characters, not necessarily by name, but of Junior, who's easy to tell because he's the small one who looks like he shouldn't be an athlete. And then we have (laughs) Yule, Yule Brenner. Uh, who's a uh, a very big man, intimidating man. In case you're not sure if he's the hero or not, he's the one dressed in black. So we go, oh, he's the one who's going to be a jerk. He's the mean guy. And somehow they start racing, and this little village that's representing all Jamaica has three sprinters of pretty much exactly the same quality of, of racing. They're running neck and neck and neck down the stretch, and we do a cutaway to joy in the stands and then joy looks concerned and then we get to see what it is and junior has fallen over and despite the fact he's about five foot one he manages to, with his flailing limbs to take out both Doris and yule and none of them qualify because the top four were going to qualify for the olympic games in 92 which would have been barcelona 
but instead now they are all out and just watch someone on the outside. And did we care enough at this point about Doris? I know it's act one. I know we're just setting things up. How bothered were you when he doesn't qualify for the Olympics? I think because it's so close to the beginning of the film, you know something else is going to happen, so it's not really that much of a bother. Okay. Also, the clue's kind of in the cover photo and the the name of the film and stuff, so it wasn't too worried. It didn't even feel like an inciting incident. It was sort of just... uh, felt like more of a... Not meet cue for the characters, but this... Okay, here's that guy, here's that guy. And now they all have something. But it didn't feel like enough of a point to go, okay, this is where the story begins. I feel the second John Candy appears, that's when you get your real sort of start and push yeah like i have said that um it was based loosely on a true story and basically it's that there was a jamaican bobsled team it's about where it comes and ends um and so um it is i think you're right it feels like 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 a meet cute here's a way to get these three characters to get some sort of interaction between them and that's that. And this should be the thing that crushes and cripples Doris. And we cut to him pleading his case before what appears to be the head of the Jamaican Olympic Committee. But he's got like a one-room office. Which is also in their, <laughs> in their town. Which is also in their town, thankfully. And he knew his dad. And he's saying how it's not fair and he should get another chance. And they go, oh, you can wait four years. And, oh, you're making too big a deal of this. <laughs> just wait four years or if you want to compete you'll have to learn to box or cycle learn to box or cycle and apparently you can just walk in off the street and become a world-class boxer or a cyclist despite the fact these are sports that everybody else in Jamaica you'd figure have been training for their whole lives if they wanted to succeed in that yeah and Doris is going no I am not a boxer or a cyclist I am a sprinter and yet when he gets told later in the film you'll be a bobsledder, he's like, yeah, sure. And about three minutes later, if that, he sees a picture of his father with some guy. And he goes, oh, he's a bobsled coach. He lives here in the in the village, as luck would have it. And at this point he goes, oh, he's 100% sold. And he, he smiles, thank you, thank you very much. And I've written down in my notes um, that Doris gets over his loss very, very quickly. And so um, then Dory, I know movies got to get where it needs to go. I, I know it needs to get us on our way. I just felt that, I mean, they really weren't, I don't know how short the shooting time was for this film, but characters made decisions very quickly. Yeah. And Doris goes and meets Sanka. And this is where we learn how much of good friends Doris and Sanka are. And uh, Sanka kind of plays with Doris for a bit when Doris asks him to help him start a bobsled team. And conveniently makes him state that he's his best friend. And make sure he states it. Just so that we understand the stakes. And uh, this is where Doris's persuasive style, which is, I'm going to smile at you a lot, starts. And that's pretty much the one emotion Doris shows throughout the whole film. Um, And so he does convince him eventually to go ahead for the bobsled team. Now, we need two more people. Well, actually, if you know anything about winter sports, which, uh, Ethan, I don't imagine there was a lot of winter sports happening in New Zealand. Not that I know of. My only knowledge of winter sports has always been the Mario and Sonic games. Oh, excellent. I'm pretty sure New Zealand did have a bobs- uh, bobsled team. Yeah, in they the probably race, did. Though. And England. I was about like to say the, that. The film, there is yes, one. Do. You can see it. Oh, okay. You can see it because I have written in my notes. Oh, yeah. I cheer uh, on that. Surely it can't be as much of a surprise that New Zealand has a team, right? Oh, if, what? like, Jamaica have a team. It's, okay, it's then... not high notoriety, though. But they're not the ones that are getting mocked. 
yes. ripped to shreds for having a team. That's what I mean. Like, New Zealand is a hot place anyway. Yes. How come the fact that they have a bobsled team isn't as crazy as the fact that Jamaica do? Because they're white. Point was. They were hot and cold. Because <laughs> they're white. That's what, this, I guess what Disney quite clearly showed us. But there were also yeah. hills, right? What, in New Zealand? Yeah. I'm sure there's hills in New Zealand. Yes, yeah, so like as in it's a more of... like hilly climate than Jamaica. Well, well, Jamaica was, was shown to be pretty hilly. It was in the film, but well, I don't know. I don't really know that much about Jamaica, but I guess for an an island isn't going to have as many a small island isn't going to have as many hills as a large island or well, two islands. Much like the bobsleds in the first half of the film, we have gone badly off track. So. No one. I really, I really appreciated that. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it just took me a while. There was, uh, there, there is a two man bobsled competition in the Olympics. There's two men and there's four men. So this idea that we yeah. have to go ahead and find two more men is ridiculous. I had not even thought about that. Yeah. That's really funny. It is really funny. Like you don't, you don't need four men, but they decide we need two men, and we're stop recruiting, and we need to get us this coach. This coach who conveniently lives in our village, and this is where we're introduced to the immortal John Candy. And I wish he was immortal. God bless him. Um, John Candy, Canadian actor, uh, very, very famous um, in his time, was probably the top comic actor of his time, and very rarely was the joke ever about his weight, and I do appreciate that, but I saw him in this movie, and I went, you're a big man in this movie, John, God bless you. And so we come across John, who's a bookie, apparently, although that job disappears the moment he even sniffs bobsledding again. And we find out he's not a very good bookie because there's no one really in his little pub that he seems to run. And um, he's losing one horse race, and that makes him go so mad that he smashes his radio. And in case we wanted to be sure that John Candy's not a good bookie, the guy calling the horse race says, only a fool would put his money on tumbleweed, which we then find out is the horse, of course, that John Candy has put his money on. Convenient name, isn't it? Yeah. And so we get a little, this movie loved a montage. Anybody notice that? Now you mention it. Later on, yeah. I can't think what one you're currently talking about. Well, this about. starts a montage where they try to recruit um, Irv. Irv was there. They try to recruit Irv to be their coach. And they follow him while he plays pool and appear in the window. They see him somewhere else. And then eventually they end up like, like following him into the bathroom. And they're waiting for him in the stall, which was kind of weird. How do you, if anybody else is in that place, how do you explain that bit where you open the door and the two of you are waiting for him? It's a bit, it's a bit weird. Uh, and then eventually, this is where uh, Doris makes his case and says, I will be here today, tomorrow, the next day, until you agree to be my coach. Now, I guess in Jamaica, there's many things, but restraining orders are not one of them. Because at this point, Dur- uh, Irv just goes, well, you've got me. I guess I got to be your coach. Well, no, no. You, you could still say no quite easily, in fact. But he goes, okay, I will be your coach. And at this point, they're going to train. They need to find two more players. So they arrange everybody into, again, a little town hall, probably that seats 60 people. Seats all of the Jamaicans. Seats everybody in Jamaica of that age bracket. And they play this video, which apparently they never thought they should check what the content of the video was before they use it for the presentation. And it's the worst bobsled crashes ever. Slide with a slide that says, like, you may die. Yeah. Like that. Well, John Candy says, remember, in a bobsled, your bones don't break. They shatter. And the final slide says... Crash kills Bob Sledder. That's the one. And then despite this, 
um, every, they turn the lights back on and everybody's left except for Sanka, Doris, and Irv. And then I don't know where he was getting a cup of coffee or going to the bathroom or what the deal was, but in walks Yul Brenner, determined that he is going to do bobsled if it's the thing that gets him off this island. And he hates Jamaica for some reason. But he wants to get off the island. And then all of a sudden, in comes Junior. So as our meet cute would happen, our contestants are all back together again. Very convenient. Very convenient. Also how they both missed the meeting. They both missed. Well, I think Yule doesn't miss it. I think Yule sees it and just decides maybe he leaves and comes back. But it's clear he's, I think he's seen it. Junior clearly hasn't. And they decide this is the bobsled team. And we get the clear message from Yule. I'm not going to like him. Speaking about Junior. And that's well, kind of where we sit. He comes across that he's not going to like anyone, doesn't he? Well, you he's like, don't touch me. He says, ah. yes, I'm not here to be anybody's teammate. I will be on your bobsled team, but I will not be your teammate. Yeah. And it's clear he is the mean, out-for-himself guy. Yeah. And we partner him with the weak, I-want-to-please-everybody guy. I'd say he's very frosty. But um uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, I get You'll it. It's cool runnings. Now. It's cool runnings. No, no, it's all right. It's all right. And so, what? Oh, and then we have a conversation about who's going to be the driver. And Sanka obviously believes he should be the driver because he is the best pushcart champion in the small village of Jamaica. And that qualifies him. And eventually we find out the driver is the guy who has the responsibility for everybody else's lives on his watch. And do you want to have that responsibility? At which point Sanka, in a moment of brutal honesty, decides, no, he doesn't want to be that guy. I'm not the guy you can trust on in times. I just want to be lazy, as his mother told us earlier in a bit of a monologue. So um, at this point in the movie, I'm like, Sanka's really interesting and everybody else is fighting for ninth place because <laughs> uh, I found at this point everybody else to be really kind of want to note, especially Doris was not a fan of his. Yeah, he's fine, but he just doesn't really have an awful lot of character development, I no. suppose. But we saw a lot of development of people's bobsledding skills because we are told by John Candy, Irv, that you need to be able to push start in less than six seconds, which brings us to a training montage of them getting all sorts of things wrong until eventually they start getting all sorts of things right. And wouldn't you know it, they do it in 5.9 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Before they almost crash into some goats. They do crash into a police car. Yeah. Some goats and some pigs. Some ants and some pigs. Some goats and oh, some pigs. Well, that changes the stakes. Yes. And then John Candy's character, Irv, goes hat in hand to the head of the Jamaican Olympic Village Committee and says, we need some money. We need $20,000. And he's told that he embarrassed his own people. Don't embarrass Jamaica by sending our boys to do the Winter Olympics. And that's a little bit where the audience gets to go, what's going on in the past of Irv? Because we know he's a two-time gold medalist in, in bobsleigh, and that's why he should be chosen as the coach, and we don't quite get that. So we need to raise $20,000. So what's the best way to do that? Apparently, it's a fundraising montage <laughs> where a bunch of people are laughing at Doris as he tries to raise money. Now, did you guys notice that everybody behind the desk would change, but it was the same desk and the same office for every one of those shots? 
No, they get, la- they get laughed at by six or seven different people in an office when they're trying to raise money. And it's all the same office. They move some stuff from the desk around, but it's the same desk, the same chair, and the same office, and the same shot of the same office, in fact. <laughs> like I said, I think they were on a time crunch. So uh, we also find some other ways of trying to raise money. Uh, Yule starts an arm wrestling competition, which is really cute because they, they have him get beat by a woman at the end, mm-hmm. which I thought was nice. Uh, and then there's a kissing booth. And I don't know how much it was. It was like a dollar or something. But yeah. this kissing booth, Doris is full out making out with some girl. And I'm going, yeah. oh, his wife came. His wife came and he's laying on a big kiss for his wife. God bless him. And then the woman walks away and you find out, no, his wife is the next woman in line. And they walk off to the side. And you're like, oh, she's really going to give it to him. And Sanka instead sits down in, in his place. And ha- the next woman in line after that is some really, really old lady. And Sanka scrunches his face up. He goes, oh, no. And Doris faces no consequences for making out with this girl in front of his wife. Well, none that we see. Right. But we can't, if we don't see it, it doesn't happen. Unless we're given. If he came back in with a black eye, we could go, I know what happens. I think that her nodding point was if he complains about his back and we find out it meant he was sleeping on the couch i that means something happened all we see is we see her look mad he follows her off and then nothing's followed up on so i thought what was going to happen was like for a good chunk of the movie after it was going to be like you need to prove to yourself that you can do this but also you need to prove to me that you actually want more yeah and like be a good husband yeah but it just so then we go back, and everybody's in Mama Coffee's restaurant, bar, pub, whatever it is. And they're talking about how much money they've made, and it's less than a thousand because someone paid Sanka a dollar sixty to sing. Well, actually, one guy paid him a dollar to stop singing. In walks Junior, and Junior has sold his car. And Junior has sold his car, and they're now able to go to the Olympics. And the first, they don't want to take his money, but he explains that he feels responsible for Yule. And Doris not going to the Olympics, and he wants to make it right. And someone goes, oh, you should thank your father for this. And he goes, oh, I'm not telling my father about this, nor am I telling him about this, because we found out that Daddy has got him a job and wants him to go work for some big firm, some big brokerage house in Miami. Because I guess it's that easy to get a green card in 1987, (laughs) if you're from Jamaica. They're just, absolutely, please come work. Well, that's how rich they are. They're just showing off how rich their family is. Like, yeah, we can get you there, don't worry. Also, I don't think that car would have been worth 19000 That's what I was thinking as well. And that, at that time, go. that's very expensive for a car, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we did miss a scene and didn't talk about it where uh, he's trying to practice how he's going to tell his dad he's going to be a bobsledder. And uh, he's practicing <laughs> the speech the <laughs> to a basset hound, I think it is. Yeah. And then dad comes up, and dad's not the most intimidating man by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, far from it. But um, he still comes and says, I got your job. And Junior just kind of goes, okay, yes, yes, father. And then at the end, he just comes off and goes, oh, I guess we sure told him, didn't we? And I'm like, oh, okay. You're, I get it. Your whole gimmick's that you're a weakling. Fine. So weak. And can we just talk really briefly about the costumes in Jamaica? which looked like Bill Cosby threw up all over every member of the cast. I think I wrote in my notes, they've got funky sweaters. 
that would be the same <laughs> joke I'm making. Yes, <laughs> like color palettes didn't matter in the in the early '90s. This thing screamed early '90s so much. Um, so we get to Calgary. There's a shot of American Airlines. I'm sure they ponied up some money for this landing, and then the palm tree turns into a pine tree, and they're in Calgary, and um, they need to go ahead and get. Registered, there's a cute moment when the four boys experience the Canadian cold for the first time. And this is a little bit of real-life discrepancy, because although it says minus 25 on the sign when they get to Calgary, during the Winter Olympics that year, it peaked as high as plus 16. So the idea of the ridiculously frigid cold was greatly over-exaggerated by our friends at Disney. But they go to register and... um, he has to jump through some hoops and find out, yeah, we're the Jamaican team, I know. And then we see him run into, this is Coach Irv, John Candy. We see him run into some of his old American compatriots. And we find out that they're being very frosty, if you will. To- <laughs> you get to not laugh at my joke and then reuse my joke because it's so funny. I'm doing it. Very, very frosty. I'll take that as your acknowledgement that I'm hilarious then. Thank you very much. Okay. Very, very frosty. Back to him. And so he basically calls on some old favors to get one of his old American buddies to give them a um, sled, anything they can do. And they kind of hum and haw and go, well, we could sell you one of our practice sleds. He went, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Now, in real life, the Americans actually give the Jamaicans a spare sled out of the goodness of their heart. But this makes for a better movie, I suppose. We And this film was full of this. What are some really, really small stakes that we can fix in about six minutes and then move on to the next small challenge? And then fix that in six minutes. Because it's what this film kept doing. And um, then we get introduced to doing a practice run uh, up on the sled. And the, and the sled's ugly. The sled is this ugly, just steel monstrosity. But not shiny steel. Not like shiny really steel, dull. like dull steel. And everyone else is making Rusty. fun of it. And, of course, Doris is going, oh, she's beautiful. And it's like, okay, we get it. You're the one who really, really loves it for the, for the, for the love of the game. We got you, Doris. I bet he wouldn't be saying that after the final scene. No. And they get up there, and everybody else starts to make fun of them because Jamaica can't have a bobsled team. Now, in real life, again, uh, the world was actually really welcoming of the Jamaicans, but not as good of a movie. And so we're introduced to sort of two main other nationalities. One are the Swiss, and the Swiss are who Doris kind of wants to pattern himself after because they are the defending Olympic and world champions. And the second are the East Germans. And the East Germans, there's one specifically. I wrote his name down. I'm trying to find where I put it. It is... Uh-oh. Maybe I didn't write it down. It is... Nope. Didn't get it down. Well, let's call him Nasty East German guy. Nasty East German guy. Who only thought was East German half of the... Just calls them Jamaica as if it's their name. And just says really... Um, really hurtful things he calls each of them individually jamaica as well did you notice that like it's yeah, really like quite almost racist. like it was a sl- oh it was it's very not, much yeah it's not like if he was just kind of referring to the whole team as jamaica then i suppose that would be fairly standard like you know the same way you'd call them east germany sure but when he's in the bar he talks to junior and calls him jamaica and then refers to his friend yeah so it's literally like it feels like a racial slur yeah, yeah. It's, it's really not like nice. the fact that where he's from is 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 the slight yeah yeah um but I found this scene a little bit weird 
um, because when they when they turn up with their battered old sled, yep, everyone just turns and looks at them, and there's this really stony silence for a really long time, and it just felt like in reality there would be a lot of gossiping and kind of people turning to each other and being no. like, "What are these guys playing out? What?" or like little laughs, sniggers, and things. There's just silence. For I think we ages. had that visually, but yeah, we didn't get the audio for it. Um, and then. We're introduced to the East German guy on the hill, and we're told he's one of the best drivers in the world. And this is where a Disney movie has Yul say, yeah, he's one of the biggest assholes, too, I bet. And I'm just like, all right, Disney. Somewhat impressed with that. Um, and then we have a moment after the practice run where John Candy gives him just a little push as they go down the uh, floor. And we learn they really can't run on ice yet. Mm-hmm. And we have a little montage of them trying to learn how to run on ice. But before that, we have a scene with the three who aren't Doris, because Doris has gotten a lot of time. We have a scene with the other three, with Sanka, with Yule, and with Junior. And they're talking about their motivations, more or less. I loved this scene. And it's a scene where um, Yule makes it quite clear. He's going to get off of Jamaica, and he's going to go live in a mansion. The problem is the picture of the mansion he has is Buckingham Palace. And Sanka laughs at him and goes, oh, you know, we're at Buckingham Palace. And Yul gets mad and kind of crumples it up. And um, Junior grabs the picture and explains that much like Yule now, his father started with nothing and now lives in one of the biggest houses in Jamaica and gives us that whole anybody, if they work hard and they really work hard, then they have to achieve their dreams. And you have to know what you want as well. You have to know what you want. And therefore says that he believes you will follow his dreams and gives him back the picture and says, you, you go ahead and you get your palace. And this is where, again, you'll remind us he still doesn't like Junior. And so we're starting to see a bit of a tapestry of several narratives kind of happening at once here. We're back on the hill and they're finally now trying to do a practice run where they jump into the sled. And of course, they can't get in the sled the sled gets away from them. They fall down the ice. This is the perfect plot place for the newspaper to take a picture and run under the headline, Jamaicans Chase Sled, which is such a big story. It runs with the same paper in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, as it does in Kingston, Jamaica. Right beside <laughs> the other news story, which was so important, it was dubbed Cop Solves Case. <laughs> which I thought, well, that's specific, yeah. And that story also runs in Jamaica. So this is such a big story about the cops solving the case. It had to run in both locations as well. <laughs> At which point, let's remember, these guys are dressed in like winter clothing with helmets on, and yet Junior's father reads the paper, looks at a picture of his son in a helmet in a foreign country, somewhere where he's not even supposed to be, and figures out it's his son and makes the determination he's going to telegram Calgary, Alberta, Canada. It's also a really, really blurry photo. Yes, so I should imagine they must have put their names in there as well in the article. That's but again, that's not revealed to us. So you kind of have to go that he's looked at the picture and figured it out. But you could not have told that was your son from that picture. No, I agree or, with that. The other alternative is that, of course, this little village of Jamaica that they're from is so small and there are only four potential people in the whole of Jamaica that could be even considering to be on a bobsled team. And paired with the fact that his son's away, he's just deduced that it must be him. him. Not Miami, but actually in Calgary. So uh, we have a moment where Doris is just smiling 
and tell everybody how happy he is to be there and how much he believes in his coach. And that's when they, the Americans tell him, your coach was a cheat and had his two gold medals taken away. Uh-oh. And this is the big moment of crisis. We're like, well, how will Doris respond to this? Will he tell the other members of his team? Will he confront the coach? And the answer to both these questions is, don't know. Don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's a conversation later, but it feels like a conversation that would have happened after you had the first conversation. I think I think we can kind of infer that he doesn't say anything to the rest of his teammates and he respects yeah, the just, coach and his job. It was just a strange thing because he doesn't do anything with it. I was going to go ahead and have like a big, wait, you're pushing us this way and you can't even do this. Yeah, well, I, I gave you a couple of predictions through the film, didn't I, that, yeah. of how I thought it was going to end. And I thought perhaps um, they would come second and another team would come first but then be caught cheating by using the same method or that someone else would like kind of plant some weights in the front of the Jamaican bobsled to make them get disqualified, that kind of thing. So I was really expecting it to come back up later in the movie, but it didn't. Yeah. So then we move on to line dancing at the Calgary Stampede. And everybody's got their yeehaw Calgary hats on. And I, I'm not joking. There are things like this where I live. Maybe not with like the whole like cowboy hat side of it, but like, it's the celebration of like square dancing and step dancing and like a line. These are all things that actually do happen where I am from, the middle of Ontario. So Calgary is even more so. Like they are proper cowboys out there. I so, thought it looked like so much fun. This is the height of the achy breaky heart line dancing sort of craze. It looked like a great night out. I think it looked terrible. <laughs> We've already had one swear word in this. Like I probably could drop one to follow it up, but but I I won't do that. But this is the, the one bit which is kind of anachronistic because line dancing doesn't really hit until 91, 92-ish when oh. Achy Breaky Heart hits. But this is supposed to be 88. So it is a little interesting they chose to go with that. And they run into the East Germans. Uh, this is Yule and Sanka's busy. I loved Sanka trying to line dance. That was great. That was great. I love Sanka's how he had like a little bit of grass in his mouth as well. Yes, he's totally buying in. But Yule and Junior are kind of starting to bond a bit. And they start to get, you know, almost racially abused by the East German. And um, there ends up being a bit of a bar fight where they start, like, smashing bottles over each other's heads, which I thought was a bit severe for a Disney film. Yeah, I really wasn't keen on this scene. But um, I thought it was just it was just portrayed in such a way that it wasn't like, oh, he's got bottle around the head and that's really bad because now look how injured he is. It was... Oh, he's got bottle around the head. He kind of smiles a bit and turns around and bottles him back. And everyone's just bottling each other with no consequences. <laughs> and it's like, and it's the good guys doing it as well. It's yeah. not even like, oh, East Germany's doing all the bottling, so therefore they must be bad people. It's just a really but, bad representation of se- how society works. The second person to bottle someone is Junior. Yeah. This is his big moment of I'm powerful and prideful is I'm going to bottle someone from behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't mind so much because it's it's obviously like a, he's about to bottle his friend, so therefore he's going to get him first. So it doesn't. It's kind of like a self defense thing, but it's just the fact that there's no, you know, blood or wooziness or anyone yeah. being knocked out or anything like that. Over it, everybody joins in too. Every Canadian wanted to be part of a big brawl. It seems like. Yeah, it just feels like it's a Disney film and it's encouraging kids to bottle people. A little bit, like you know, I'm standing up for myself. But there, it's a shame because it does ruin. There was a great little scene where Yule starts talking Junior into being prideful and to being a man and to standing up for himself. And this is the guy he spent most of the film intimidating, and now he's yeah. teaching him how to project 
uh, pride and stand up for yourself. Yeah, he tells him to look in the mirror and tell him what he sees and then tells him that he sees in Junior that he's a, he's powerful and he's strong. And, yeah. Um, it's really, really nice. And things that Junior obviously never sees in himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then we have our second training montage. Um, after John Candy yells at them for getting into a bar fight and says he came there to whip butts, not to have his butt whipped. And they wake him up in the morning in a nice moment where they're all smiles and they wake him up and say it's, it, it's, is it butt whipping time? They say, I think they say it's butt whipping time. It's, yeah, it's whatever phrase he used in yeah. the previous scene. And we start another training montage. And this time it's the same as the first one, but now the fact they can't run on ice. And including my favorite shot, maybe the whole movie, it's up there. It's my top five shots in the movie, is them in the bathtub simulating the turns. Yeah. So lean left, lean right, lean center. Um, I really liked the, the kind of background music to this montage as well was called Rise Above It. Um, yes. So it was a nice little kind of moving on from the previous bar fight scene. And so they go to qualify because you can't just show up and be in the Olympics. You have to do the qualifier. And uh, it turns out the coach or the judge who uh, John Candy said was a good guy is sick. And now his nemesis is going to be the third judge. Uh-oh. Now, I don't know what the problem with that can be because it's not about impressing judges. It's a timed event. <laughs> yeah. What are the judges even It's not for? like it's like figure skating. All they're there for is to say if like if you break a rule somehow, like they'll catch but you for that. They're the ones... If they're the ones judging the fact that you've broken a rule or not and no one else is looking that closely, then I guess they can swing it whichever they, way they want. I guess, but it just... I think the... I think the most was because the, they were like, well, usually we do it at uh, 1.2 minutes, but now it's just down to one. I think that was like the, the most conflict they got from there being a new judge as he brought yeah. it down by like 20 seconds. But you still have to justify that. And we found that it used to be 105, now it's 102. We found that out when he registered and he went, oh boy. And it's like, okay, new stakes. And it was like, 102, now it's going to be one minute. And we went, oh, new stakes. And so they get one crack at it. They go all the way down. And when they ask, did we make it? Did we make it? Was it a minute? Was it a minute? And they let us stay with the boys in the sled. We hear John Candy. It cuts to them. And then we have to see it with them. And they get it at 59.43. How convenient. Oh, it's the mark. (laughs) And so they get underneath the mark and they celebrate with Coca-Cola, which was an absolutely paid for product placement Mm -hmm. as they toast themselves, only to find out that they have been disqualified. So John Candy has to go appeal to the International Alliance of Winter Sport, which doesn't actually exist. I think this is why it matters who's on the judging panel at this point. Every one of his nemeses is on this panel, the International Alliance of Winter Sport. But I will say this, and George, I'm interested in getting your take on this. John Candy has some acting chops in this scene, I think. When he talks to them yeah, about... Yeah, he doesn't do too badly. When he's like, punish me all you want. Punish me, that's fine. But don't take it from my guys. I think it's a well-written little speech anyway, but I think he acted really quite well as well. Um, it was a nice little moment for a character that otherwise is just kind of a bit of a there oh, throughout really? the rest oh. of it. I really like John Candy in this. Um, and so then we show up and they're, they're, they're back in. They're 100% back in and... Like, but this didn't have enough chance to really breathe and make it seem like it was a big deal. It's like we found out we're disqualified. He makes one speech. Now we're back in. And it was a bunch of these little incremental levels to beat. It was like the early levels of a role-playing game. 
where there was like some miniature small task you to do, which you can pass really, really easily, and then you're on to the next little challenge. And um, Junior shows, so Dad shows up, confronts Junior. At first, looks like Junior's going to leave. Like at that point, he's ever going to leave. But he stands up, and you hear him say as his dad's getting into the elevator, pride, proud, be a man. And he stops the elevator and tells his dad, I will not be going. I am an Olympian and I am staying. And apparently one word is all it takes for dad to be convinced because he just kind of looks stunned and goes down the elevator. The thing is, dad's never presented as this really stern man, is he? He's just, I think it's just that Junior is such a kind of... He's soft. um, Yeah, he's very soft, isn't he? Bless him. I think he's just got such a small... um, well, not a small personality necessarily. Well, I guess kind of a small personality, but low self-esteem and a lot of respect for his father. So he just doesn't go against what he says. And I don't think it's necessarily that the father's been this kind of powerful, yelling, um, kind of horrible father. I think he's just always told him what to do. And he said, OK, Dad. So I, when he turns around and says, actually, no, I'm not going to do it. It's probably the first time he's ever said that to his dad, and that's why he just shuts up instantly. Yeah. Also, so, it takes up less runtime. Yeah. And Ooh. now they're not, he's not going home, so they're going to go. It's day one of the actual competition. In the, in the, in the movie world, it's a three-day competition. In real life, it's two runs a day for two days, for four total runs, but movie needs it to be a different way. So we're going to have three runs over three days. And the, on day one... We have uh, John Candy has gotten them proper um, proper suits, and they've now made the cart look all nice and pretty. And it looks like a Jamaican flag now. It looks up to par with everybody else. And we cut to Sanka, warming his hands by the fire, telling the rest of the uh, competitors my favorite line of the film, which is, I am feeling very Olympic today, <laughs> which I thought was great. And so they go in and they completely have a rubbish first run. Everything that can go wrong, well, within reason, does go wrong. (laughs) Except for that thing that goes wrong in the last run. They run in 58.04 seconds and John Candy yells at them for choking and for not doing their best. And I'm going, 58.04? That's like 1.39 seconds faster than the trial run that got them in. Which was already a really high benchmark because they'd yeah. already reduced it by three seconds so like, and then another They two improved seconds. over a second from their previous run and you're yelling at them. So I was just sitting there going, maybe you should have changed the number that was required to get in. Also, in how movie? did they improve by another Well, because they second. hit everything. It, they clearly the say time the time was 58.04. Yeah, but the first, the qualifying one went reasonably well. Well, didn't it? It was just that yeah. slightly slower start. In fact, yeah. it only even was a slower start. So was, how on earth did they manage to low. shave a second yeah. off? I don't know. And at this point, they've tried to figure out what went wrong. And somewhere along the way, they go, it's because Doris is trying to be Swiss. Because he's now taken to going eins, vines, tries. Eins, zwei, dry. <laughs> I spy. Eins, spy, dry. Okay. So, yeah, they've, 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 he's kind of taking that, and it doesn't feel like them. And we get the impression that Yule isn't the only one who's a little bit embarrassed to be Jamaican at times, and that Doris wishes he wasn't this. And Sanka has a nice little speech now, too, where he goes, look, if we're going to look Jamaican, talk Jamaican, act Jamaican, then on up there, we need to, we need to be Jamaican up there as well. 
And he says, no more of this. We do what we do and we do it for us. And that seems to work. Run number two, we no longer have Eins. Eins, Spy, Dry. Yeah, uh, Eisenstein, Dry. We now have uh, Feel the Rhythm, Feel the Rhyme, whatever the third line is. It's bobsled time. It's no longer Pushcart. Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings, Roll Credits. Can we just talk briefly for about the uh, the one other thing that they always do before a race? Or well, one does of them does. Yeah, go, go <laughs> I love Sanka's lucky egg. <laughs> it's so cute. The egg was one of my favorite things because it was just like that and um, are you are you dead, uh, Sanka? <laughs> you were dead, two yeah. things that I really thought they were probably when they came back near the end. I was like, it's just like a little thing that keeps happening, but. I, I kind of, one of my only takeaways from the film. I kind of like that they never explain the egg, really. He's just always got it. It makes no sense, but it's no. just really cute. So I found out that Dougie Doug still has the egg. Still has the egg from Cool Runnings. That's kind of gross. It's, it's made of rubber. Oh, okay. It's oh. not an actual... Do you really think they're going out there with a real egg on the, on no, the movie I suppose, shoot? I suppose not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. We got to roll a... Doug broke the egg again. <laughs> Refilm. Re- and... Georgia, I was thinking it would be hard boiled. How do you refill an egg? I don't know. But you just get a new one. Georgia, if you think about it, if the egg is real, is the egg not being intact at the end of the bobsled crash the greatest it survives this there has ever been? Oh, it absolutely is. It was also at that moment where I wrote in my notes, where is he keeping that egg? Because well, mm, definitely in his crotch. Yep. Exactly. It's a bit gross. Um, but the colour of the egg is also really weird the whole way through, which made me think it might be like a wooden egg anyway, like in the film, because it's like a grey kind of colour. It doesn't look like an egg anyway. If we go onto the premise that it's a real egg in the film universe, because I think it's supposed to be, because he keeps checking if it's broken, right? Right. You, you wouldn't check a wooden egg to make sure if the wooden egg wasn't broken. It's a wooden egg. Surely you wouldn't have to take a real egg out and like hold well, it up like, and look at it to check does, if it was broken either. How does he get this through customs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling very Olympic today. We don't care, sir. We're having the egg. Maybe it's a I don't know egg. where he's... Maybe he's been keeping the egg somewhere else that customs couldn't get to. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> so you're saying that he's he's hatching it? Uh, yes. n- not <laughs> not so much, but kind of. Uh, so back to run number two. Run number two goes much, much, much better. <laughs> number two. <laughs> number two. Goes much, much, much better. And at one point, the and the sportscasters are just being savage, going like, basically, they're stopping just short of going, these guys are losers. What are these loser losers doing here? But as they're going much better down the second, going down the second time, they go, where are these guys from? And this is where we had to have our mandated cutaway to Jamaica, where everybody doesn't realize how rhetorical questions work. And they all shout out in unison, as if they hadn't practiced this, everybody shouts out, Jamaica! Jamaica! So, just in case the, the, the flag on the front of the cart wasn't clear. So, they do better, and things are going all right. And now we're on the eve of the third night, and it feels that like the competition is wide open and everybody else is kind of away, and it's just the coach and Doris. And Doris asks, "Why did you cheat?" Well, he says, "I have a question for you. You don't have to answer it." And the coach goes, "Why did I cheat?" And, he goes, and the idea was, he had to win, and you need to make sure that you're okay enough as a man that whether you win or you don't win, you're satisfied. Which is a great thing to say when you've won two gold medals. 
<laughs> because they can take away your medal, but they can't take away the feeling that you were the best. Because it, it seemed to be made quite clear John Candy doesn't cheat on the ones he wins the gold medal on. He cheats yeah. after the fact, and he gets his other two gold taken away as a result. Mm-hmm. And then you've got um, that bit where he says to Lord De- Doree says, "How will I know if I'm good enough, um, or if I'm enough?" And um, Irv says, "Oh, when you cross the finish line, you'll, you'll know. know." Yeah, actually, that's a really good setup for the rest of the film. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and so, the finally, now we get to scene run number three. And I'm very curious. I'm going to make this claim. I don't care how invested you were in this film. At this point, when they're in run number three and the music swells and they're getting ready and they start running down that thing, are you not fully invested in seeing these guys win? I was expecting a death. A death? Okay, great. Well, I'm, yeah. I wasn't until the point where one of them, I don't know, I can't remember which way around it was, Doris and Sanka at the end go, are you dead? And I was like, oh, God. One of them's actually <laughs> was, going like, to not answer. Oh, okay. Because they kept being, like, throughout the film, it's like, are you dead? Are you dead? And it's kind of a funny joke. I'm like, if one of them's dead at the end and they play it as a joke and it's serious, mm. that's going to hit me. I think that would have hit more people. And that's what I was expecting because he was just limp. I suppose I didn't expect, like, an actual death, but I just thought maybe one of them wouldn't answer and they'd be really badly injured. Okay, but then but they'd recover. back to my point, though, were you not fully invested in seeing them succeed? Yes. Like, I got goosebumps as they were doing that third, as they were starting that third run. Oh, I wasn't that invested. Oh, I was invested. Georgia, you've been very quiet. No, I wasn't particularly invested in it. I thought something would go wrong. I wanted to see them do well. There but we I go. think That's because of the way that we're, ex- we're, yeah, we're expected the film not to just have a perfect happy ending. So you expect something to go wrong. Um, but no, I, I wanted them to do well. Yeah. Because Ellie, you said you thought they were going to win. Yeah, I think I already mentioned, didn't I, my my two theories about either they would win and then someone would have planted weights or they would come second and the first place would get disqualified. But it wasn't until they were about halfway down the slope that I remembered the uh, the kind of presentation that Irv had done in Jamaica where it said about them breaking bones and crashing and stuff and after we'd seen the nuts go loosened and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, they're going to crash. And so we have... At one point, the sportscasters go from yesterday. They have a stupid, stupid of stupid. So now they're wearing the Jamaican T-shirts. And at one point, as they're going down the hill, they go, go jams. And I'm going, that feels kind of racist. I didn't notice that. I remember the line, go jams, for like 25 years. Jams. Jams, like a short for, for, for Jamaican. Jams. So, yeah. I don't remember hearing it. I don't know if it is considered a... I, I have no idea. It's, but just, I just, it's ca- just a shortening of like shortening like we have a shortening of British would be like Brits, Brits or whatever. Or Americans so. would be Yanks. It's yeah. a bit personal though, isn't it? When you've already had two days of insulting them on yeah. live on air to suddenly be like, but oh it's, yeah, it's part of the whole, your name look, the whole system was against them, even the sportscasters, and now they've won everybody over. And sure enough, they're doing quite well. I mean, as far as you see on the screen, they're an eighth. I say C because anything you see on a TV is actually footage from ABC's coverage of that Olympics. So on the screen, it never shows us that they're getting better of an eighth place. Whereas in the uh, audio, it makes it seem like they're on world record pace, which they most certainly were not. Um, and so at that point, we start seeing some cuts of inside the cart and a, a screw and a washer coming loose. And eventually, uh, we don't really get the full exact kind of idea of what happens because a lot of it switches now to stock footage from the Olympics. But they end up sort of flipping the card and landing on their heads. 
and we have the great callback. But this time for the first time, it's Doris asking Sanka, you dead? And he goes, oh, wait, no, it's Sanka asking Doris because it's always been Doris asking Sanka. So Sanka asks Doris, you dead? And he goes, no, I'm alive. And so they get up. And they say, and you get the you get the shot from um, Doris's perspective, and you see how close they are to the finish line, and it's heartbreaking. I think it really is heartbreaking, and um, you see the scores of Canadian help workers coming to their aid, and they say, no, 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 I I want to finish the race, and so they take up the cart, and the uh, the mass of people sort of split, and we see the four of them walking with the the bobsled on their shoulders. Uh, walking towards the finish line. A slow clap begins, uh, and then we see from Junior's perspective, he looks over and he sees his father, and his father flashes him, but he's not naked. He's wearing <laughs> he's wearing a Jamaica bobsled team T-shirt. I loved this moment so much. It made me cry. Anyone else? No, I, I was not that I invested. Oh, I will admit, I was crying when they when 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 the, when the crowd parts and they start walking. I'm crying at that point, and then I got a little bit more so when we get the dad. But I was already there. It, it wasn't the um the whole scene. It was literally just that one moment with, well, for with me, the dad, and for it, me it was, was like a really sudden like oh. The, it, was, it was the idea of wanting something so bad and going, I'm still going to get there, and having everybody else recognize how hard you've worked. And if it were not for having to buy a secondhand sled, what could you have accomplished? And he wanted to cross that finish line because we were told by John Candy earlier, that's when you'll know what measure of a man you are when you cross the finish line. And everybody applauds. And the East German now says to them, Jamaica, I'll see you again in four years. And the idea being that they are now equals and have earned the respect of everyone around. Even in Jamaica, they are applauding vociferously. Uh, all this stuff is a bit of a load of crap because ABC and American sports never show anything live. It's always on tape delay. <laughs> so <laughs> as a result, none of this would be happening live to America and therefore probably Jamaica because we're led to believe that they were all watching ABC. I think this is where George's catchphrase comes in. Yes. Yeah, movie's got a movie. The movie had the movie. And it ends with a photograph being taken of the bobsled team and John Candy. And then that picture goes above the picture of Irv and uh, Doris's dad from earlier. And that is the closing shot of our film, along with a Chiron that tells us four years later they return to the Olympics as equals. Roll credits. And that is Cool Runnings. So, uh, general thoughts on Cool Runnings? Anybody want to chat how they found it? I enjoyed the film. Um, I obviously wasn't as invested as either of you two were. Um, but I'd seen it a long, long time ago, I think, when I was quite young. And so I wasn't surprised by anything that happened. But equally didn't have... But I wasn't as invest, invested in it when I was younger to have like the nostalgia coming back. I'd seen it enough times and bits of it enough times that it just wasn't a surprise at all to me but right. i enjoyed watching it and sitting down and watching it as an adult and kind of going okay um and watching it all the way through but no it's not one i'd jump back to see instantly it's very quotable there's lots of little bits in it that i enjoyed um one of them says a line i was just telling ethan about it um 
one of them says a line about only being able to count to 10 if he's barefoot or wearing sandals. I thought that was really, really funny. I enjoyed that little line. Um, and also a little observation of just the only time we hear a Canadian speak, like other than the two commentators, is the lady that knocks on the door and her only word is sorry, which I thought was really funny as actually, well. Actually, you can, uh, the, the two commentators were, were actually Americans. So you can actually have that as oh, the only it's Canadian the only line. only Canadian in the film actually is, just says the only word of sorry, which I thought was great. So, That's so funny. Uh, Ethan, thoughts? I thought it was fine. I have, like, the, the Disney sports movie that I always love is Mighty Ducks. I get more joy from Mighty Ducks. I don't know why. Like, I enjoyed it. Because I'm Goldberg and I'm the goalie. I I enjoyed it. <laughs> but, like, I wrote a load of notes down. And I was looking at this before we started. And I do not remember half of this stuff. And I watched it this morning. Welcome to my world, yeah. Ellie? Um, yeah, I... I found it a fairly enjoyable film. Um, I didn't love it by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I think a bit kind of like what you said earlier, I found Darice to be sort of a little bit dull. Mm. Um, and as the main character, that's quite unusual. Um, so I wasn't really hugely set on the film. I, I enjoyed it more as it went along. And I think the main reason I the main parts that I did like were to do with the character progression of Yule and Junior and their sort of little subplot. And I found a lot of that really heartwarming. Um, I really like this. Uh, I think for, I mean, there's some nostalgia. I remember seeing it when it was out. I remember the trailer and the bit where um, he can't get his helmet on. Uh, by him, I mean Sanka can't get his helmet on. He goes, Coach, a little bit of help. And then he hits him on the head and he goes, thanks, Coach. That was in the trailer. And I remember that from, from, from the trailer along with I'm feeling very Olympic today and, and other key lines. And so that was a, a nice, fun walk down um, memory lane. Uh, I think the film is still quotable. I think it still holds up. I think it still has some of that. It got me to care about a sporting event and something that I'm not really that interested in in the grand scheme of things. I'm not really, I have no desire to be a bobsledder except for maybe 15 minutes while I watch the film. Uh, but the thing it got that I really like about this is there's so many different parameters that I had to care about. So I care about John Candy's redemption arc and him maybe gaining back his credibility in this sport. I care a little bit, not so much about Doris achieving his Olympic dream and finishing something. He couldn't finish the foot race. He's going to finish the Olympic event and and seeing his progression. Uh, I like Sanka for the comic relief he was. And will he ever figure out not to be cold? I thought that was a fun little, you know, comic side plot. I cared about Yule realizing what it means to be a teammate and actually knowing what it is to forgive and be friends. And when he stands up for Junior, I thought that was insane. He is the guy who throws the first punch at at, at the bar fight, and I was okay with that. The idea that he's standing up for his teammates, and that's what he does say to uh, Doris when he's getting chewed out for it after the fact. I stood up for my teammate, and that was a huge shift. We get Junior learning how to be a man and his father accepting him for that. And I think every character in this motley crew has purpose and agency for being there. And then there's also Sanka. But I think even within that, though, we got the idea about what it means to be there for your friend through thick and thin. 
no matter what the situation is. The only reason why Sank is there is because Doris asked him. And I think there's something in that. And it's a movie that knows what it is. This is not Citizen Kane. It's not trying to be Citizen Kane. It was never going to win an Oscar. But this was a film that wanted to be a feel-good sports movie. And we got, through several rewrites, <laughs> we got a feel-good sports movie out of it. And that's all it requires from me. So I really quite liked that. So let's talk. Do we have a favorite character? It might be a sweep, but let's find out. Ellie? Um, I definitely do. Uh, my favorite character was Yule. Yule, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I can see that, actually. I really enjoyed the um, the character progression, and I liked... It was sort of a kind of a, a duo, I suppose, of him and Junior, but it wasn't... I didn't really like Junior's character at all. I really liked Yule's. And it was just that warmth that he shows to Junior. But it's it all starts off with that first scene with the not the first you know the the yep. first scene between them with that Buckingham Palace bit, where Junior says, "Oh, you just have to know what you want and go for it, um, and you can achieve anything." And th- and then Yule um, tells Junior to look in the mirror and say say what he sees and says, "You are you are powerful. You are mm-hmm. strong. You are confident. Or that kind of thing." And there's just a lot of really motivational stuff in there between the two of them. And I think it sends a really, really nice message, especially to kind of your typical kids Disney audience, um, that you can be whoever you want to be. And it, I just found it really heartwarming, and those characters really appealed to me. Excellent. Georgia? No, I think um, what Ellie said pretty much sums up how I, the most enjoyable part of the film for me, I did find them their relationship to be interesting and quite um, dynamic, obviously, because it changed quite a lot throughout it. Um, yeah. But I'd go with my favourite character probably overall being the egg. <laughs> <laughs> Honourable mention to the egg. This is, this is kind of your gimmick. It's, it's a sidekick who doesn't talk. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I love a sidekick who doesn't talk. Uh, Ethan? Uh, I'm going Sanka just because every single time he opened his mouth, it just reminded me of Kel from Good Burger. And yeah, I don't know what that means. It's just... <laughs> Oh, Not it was like an it was an old show with like uh, Keenan from Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay, um, but every time he spoke, I just felt like I was watching like a fun like little little comedy where he was the only person who was in the film, and that's all that mattered to me. He was just he was have his own fun little his fun little journey and just like vibing by himself, and I, I loved every second of it. I also like Sanka as my choice. He had the most quotable lines. He was the comic energy and the spirit of many of the scenes. Uh, he brought an authenticity to that, um, which I think everybody else was kind of one note. I felt there was some depth. And he is the one who made the speech about what it means to be J- Jamaican. And even though he does it in his feel-good Sanka way, he got the idea of Sanka knows who he is. And he's not pretending to be anybody else. And actually, he's the only character who's not pretending to be somebody else. Junior's pretending to be his father's son and pretending even to be... Uh, a powerful man, which I don't think he is. Yule's pretending to be um, several things that he's not throughout the film. And we all know that Doris is pretending to be Swiss or, or this or that at various points. And you can even argue that Irv is pretending to be things. But Sanka knows who he is, and Sanka's true to that. And I uh, definitely hang my hat on that. Plus, any guy who can crouch in the positions that you have to crouch for in bobsled and not break an egg, there's some intelligence going on there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say favorite moment. I think some people have sort of already kind of answered this. Ellie, yours is clearly, I think, it seems like that scene with Yule and uh, Junior in the in the bathroom. Uh, yeah, the one in front of the mirror in the bathroom. Yeah. Ethan? 
Uh, it's just it's at the cowboy dance, and it's specifically just <laughs> the fun, the fun little sort of side story with uh, Senka and the girl who takes his hat about halfway through the scene as he's trying to like dance and impress her. Okay. So just before the mirror scene. Yeah. Georgia. Yeah. Um. No, I really enjoy. I really enjoy all the little moments with Sanka, pretty much all yeah. of his little pop-up cameos. It, it feels like cameos throughout it is my issue with it, okay. is that he just gets little pop-ups everywhere. Um, but every time he did pop up, I really enjoyed what he had to say. So I'd probably go with those and him kissing his lucky egg before it and just like offering it to other people and being like, Meh, if yeah. they said no. Um, and then someone asking to kiss the lucky egg just before the last one was really nice. Oh, was that tr- pay off for that I did well. miss that. I missed that as well. But I think the egg yeah. definitely counts as a cameo role. So, yeah. is it is it a character? It's a key prop. I mean, you can have a hard time with me as a character, but all right. You just called it a sidekick. I, I did because I was trying to make fun of George a little bit. Um, my <laughs> thanks for admitting it. You're welcome. My, my my best bit is probably, and it's a bit selfish, is John Candy in the speech in front of the uh, fake International Olympic Committee group, uh, only because John Candy was taken from us too young, and John Candy. Uh, could act and he was a comedian who I said he was a very big man at the end and there's a scene earlier in the film where he pretends that uh, Doris and Sanka have given him a heart attack and I'm going like this guy died of a heart attack like four months later so it was hard to watch that but it was me going he's a big man but he never let his size be the butt of the joke and in a world full of Melissa McCarthy's and whatever the guy's name is from uh, uh, Mike and Molly um, basically every joke in that sitcom was about how they're fat Every joke in that sitcom was that they're two fat people. And John Candy was a comedian who made lots of jokes and was the butt of a lot of jokes. Very few of them about how big he was because he was funny first and he was a large guy second. And so I appreciated one last time getting to sit back and go, John Candy was good. He really, really was. And so I enjoyed that side of it. Uh, Any complaints? Any worst parts? Worst part for me was definitely the bottle fight, which we already talked about. Okay. Ethan? Uh, it was just the amount of weird little sort of complications they had to have, especially just the the scene where it's like you're disqualified, you're no longer disqualified. Like within two minutes, yeah. we, I just, gave one speech. Oh, we can't do this. You've been disqualified, which would be like a very big part. Ah, nah, you're not disqualified. We need to just keep going. That was my only real issue. Is it just didn't feel there were mistakes? Okay, Georgia. Yeah, I think I'd probably go with Ethan to a certain degree. I didn't feel as invested in the film, I think, because it felt like a film of moments rather than right. one cohesive story. Um, lo- like I said, lots of different bits just felt like um, felt like cameos to a certain extent of a bigger film um, that we didn't get to see, I guess. I think if the runtime was longer and they had longer to make the film, it probably could have been something completely different. Um, I enjoy it for what it is. But no, I'd say it probably could have done with another six months on production time just to um, flesh out a few different bits and pieces. I'm going to go a little bit with Ethan. I felt that the pacing was was definitely off. It was like a series of very, we need money. He sold his car. (laughs) We did this. Okay, this happened. So it felt like they were trying to pad runtime and they couldn't afford enough shots of them actually doing the the, the footage. But my biggest issue with the film is probably the guy who plays Doris. I just think, or maybe the way he was written, I just think it was just, he's the one I should have been most compelled with, and he's the one I was least compelled with, 
I think, going going throughout the film. Um, he definitely was my fifth most interesting of the main characters. And really, he should have been my first, because the movie was trying to tell me he's the first. He's the first one I got to meet. He's the one who gets the most important lines, and I just didn't care that much about him specifically. If we had to give it a rating, if you were so inclined, using whatever format you want to do, where do you put this? We're not comparing it to anything else, but where do you put this? I think on an out of 10 kind of scale, probably around kind of 7 or 7.25. Okay. Um, I I enjoyed it, but I didn't... Like I said, I didn't love it. Okay. Um, I could watch it again, but I, it definitely wouldn't be one that I would really reach to. Okay. Ethan? Uh, I'm giving it six lucky eggs out of ten. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was fun and I had a good time, but I'd, if it was on like on the TV, like on a, on a channel, and I was, there was nothing else, I'd probably just have it on for background noise, but it wouldn't be a... Uh, oh yeah, I've got to watch this again anytime soon. All right, Georgia. Um, I'm going pretty much slap bang between the two of them. I'd have given it about a six point five. I think it's a good film. It's not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but like Ethan, I think I'd put it on if I wanted to watch something there was nothing else on. But again, I don't think it would be one that I was searching out to find to watch again. Not that I'd have to search far now with Disney Plus. Thank you, Disney Plus. This is not sponsored by Disney Plus, but Disney Plus, get in touch if you'd like to. Thanks. (laughs) I'm going to give it seven and a half broken down bobsleds out of ten. Mostly based on nostalgia and uh, maybe what it was. I I still think it was, I was saying, it's a film that knew what it was and did that type of film very well. And that's kind of where I'll I'll leave that. It's not going to be an appearance on Best Film Ever anytime soon. But I appreciate why the critics and why the IMDb rating are where they sit. I'm sitting there going, I feel they've got it more or less right. So that's that. That is Cool Runnings. And if our listeners wanted to tell us what they thought of Cool Runnings, how could they do so, Georgia? They could hit us up on either one of our social media platforms. We are... At Talking the Mickey on Instagram and at Talk the Mickey on Twitter. On the Twitter. And that just leaves us with setting up what's happening the next time we journey through the Magic Kingdom on a day we don't feel as Olympic. What is happening that day? So that would be down to my choice. So um, I looked at the kind of the years that the previous films we've already reviewed came out. Um, and I thought we've we've gone really quite early and we've gone very modern as well so i thought i'd mix it up a little bit and go somewhere completely in the middle and i've gone for the sword in the stone from 1963 Mm. what do we think about that i remember i've seen it not for a long long time but i remember liking it when i was younger so i know there were squirrels in it Yes, they're squirrels. The squirrels are a big part. Are there? That's yeah. all I know. I don't remember the squirrels, and I love squirrels. So I vividly really remember the squirrels. Um, I've only seen it once uh, as a child. Um, I did, it's not one that I had, so that I owned. So it's. I kind of remember Madame Mim and. Oh, I forgot about her. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you remember the squirrels, but forgot about Madame Mim. The squirrels. Are, I'm with Ethan. The thing I remember most is the squirrels. Okay. Well, I look forward to watching it and seeing which of those characters has a more crucial role in the film. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't really remember an awful lot about it. I don't. I don't think I disliked it, but um, I would very much like to watch it again. Georgia, any memories, or have you seen it before? I haven't seen it oh, before. Be good, my then. only. My only. 
only memory of um, the sword in the stone is trying to pull the sword out of the stone in Disneyland a couple of years ago. So did you succeed? Um, that's my only. I did not succeed. No, wow. I think there's a trick to it. I think. Wow, there's a lot of hammers and hammers and swords and lifting off the ground and pulling in in Disney lore. There is, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. I think um, the Sword in the Stone will be an interesting one as well because there's there's quite a lot of sort of retellings of the stories of Merlin and Arthur and that kind of thing. So, well, there was a King Arthur remake with Taron Egerton just what two years ago. I'm not aware of that. I one. mean, it bombed. Oh, um, there the was... friend, was that the franchise one? That was the one they were trying to do a franchise out of. They went with Russell Crowe oh. about six years ago, and oh. now Taron Egerton yeah. was two years ago. There was one, and it no, bombed. Taron Egerton was. He was Robin Hood. Oh, wait, no, that is Robin Hood. Oh, both of those are Robin Hood. What am I doing? Yeah, King Arthur was... I was confused. Um, So there was a really... Beckham. There was a... Well, I thought it was good, but I guess it it got worse as it went along. There was a TV show called Merlin. Oh, I loved Merlin. And, um, yeah, I really really liked it at the time. Um, Yeah, so that that was a few seasons long, and that was sort of Merlin a little bit older than he's depicted in the sword and the stone okay um but i think it is one of those stories that gets retold in various different formats and things and it's spam a lot isn't it well yeah exactly there's there's lots of different ways that it's presented and sometimes it's just arthur and sometimes it's just merlin and um there was there's a bit about um merlin and arthur in uh once upon a time as well the the series um so there's lots of different depictions, so it'd be interesting to kind of go back to the good old Disney. Well, that's what we're doing next week. We're leaving behind the frosty land of uh, Calgary. We're leaving behind the warm lands of Mexico, which is a couple of times, and we're going to jolly old England. We're not going too far away from here. So mm. It's totally going to be this week, though. For that in mind, my name is... Uh, well, thank you for listening to Talking the Mickey. Uh, tell your friends. If you like it, if you don't, you don't have to tell them. But for talking to Mickey, I've been Ian. I've been Ellie. I've been Georgia. And I've been Ethan. And how we know what kind of a podcast this is when we cross the finish line. We'll see you next time. I am feeling very Olympic today. How about you?